Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. It's our first show of 2021. We've been gone a couple of weeks, which means we've watched a lot of stuff. I'm Jeff Braun. I enjoyed the new Pixar movie, Soul, and I'll have a review. And Nicolas Cage has a profanely funny new show on Netflix. Disney Plus making news this week. They're adding a new branch to their streaming service called Star. This week they announced details of what it'll look like and what it'll cost you. Guess who? That's it! That's what you got! I guess you have done this before. Don't encourage him. That's a clip from the movie A Good Day to Die Hard, the fifth and worst movie in the Die Hard series, and it is curiously featured in the little 45-second ad that Disney released to promote Star. It's very weird. They'll have a variety of Die Hard movies. I didn't see anything that's a complete series, though. So why would you choose the worst one to promote, especially a clip of Bruce Willis running when he is clearly not in shape to do that? Whatever, that's my nitpick. The point is Disney Plus Star We'll put the R in their programming. It's basically going to be their streaming branch for all the things that they now own that they wouldn't want kids to see. A lot of the stuff they're billing are are current series from other Disney-owned entities like ABC, Hulu, and FX. Atlanta was on the list, for example. That's an award-winning series on FX. I presume that It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia will be on the list as well, at least at some point, if they're not dumping everything on all at once. There will also be some older series on Star, like Family Guy, Desperate Housewives, 24, Prison Break, and Lost. Should be something for everyone. I mean, I have other friends to subscribe and cancel based on whenever The Mandalorian is on Disney+, Plus, so this may help keep them around a bit longer because they don't have kids, although I do think the unending supply of Star Wars and Marvel movies coming down the pike the next couple of years will take care of that problem. It's also the first legal way for a lot of us in Canada, Brett, to see a lot of the Hulu content because that's not available here, and uh, I know what you're thinking. Wow, Jeff, that all sounds great, but what's the catch? The money. It's always the money. Your Disney Plus subscription will go up $3 from 9 to $12 per month starting in February. Again, it doesn't look like there's an option to opt out of it and stick with the service you currently have for the price you currently have. I do imagine they're you know, maybe waiting to see if there's a big outcry against this, and if there is, maybe they would make it an option that you could opt out of, but I wouldn't bank on that. There will, of course, I'm sure, be more details forthcoming as the launch date draws a little nearer. Disney Plus Star is coming on February 23rd. Okay, the, uh, regarding the Die Hard thing, I've just been like doing yeah. some Googling while you've been uh, chatting here, and I don't, I just don't understand this. Every article I look at says... Things like a selection of titles from the Die Hard franchises. Yeah, exactly. Like, why do they have to be vague on that? Because, honestly, I bet you Die Hard 1 is not going to be on the list, and they just don't want to point that out. That's got to be what it is. Yeah. Otherwise, why would they say it, right? Well, and then, if if that's the case, Otherwise, you'd you'd say Die Hard and some of its sequels or something, right? Fair enough. But if that's the case, why put any of them in? If you can't have the original... That just seems weird. So there's probably some weird rights issue there that Disney just couldn't get their hands on it. Or maybe some other studio actually owns that Die Hard, like the first Die Hard. Uh, There might be, yeah, existing uh, with Netflix or whatever, the license issues or something. Because of that, you know, was the way with Marvel. Like Doctor Strange is on Disney+, Plus, but it's also still on Canadian Netflix. So a lot of these things always still have to be 
worked out. And may, the uh, it might just be a thing where they do have Die Hard, but they they don't want to put it out and they want to save it for its own special moment, like next Christmas or something dumb like that. But Fair who enough. knows? Yeah, yeah. like that, I said, hopefully more details in the next. What do we got? Like six weeks before it comes out. Yeah, and you're right. A bunch of Marvel movies have come back to Netflix in recent weeks and months. Like movies that have that were on Netflix and then disappeared, and then they came back. So I don't, I don't understand <laughs> how a lot of this stuff works. <laughs> I am happy that 24 is going to be on because I think I have the first five seasons. Oh no, I think I have the first six. Seasons of 24, but I don't think I ever got the seventh and eighth seasons. And uh, I would like to revisit some of those. And 24 Live Another Day. So hopefully that's on there too. That was that limited series where they came back over the summer and kind of kicked off the uh, the limited series, at least uh, sort of the popular form limited series that you might see in a more common network like a Fox. You know, HBO right. has been doing limited series for forever. Um, yeah. Hey, speaking of Disney Plus, I got to mention this because we mentioned this in our year-end special where we counted down our favorite TV shows of the year, and this was my favorite show. This is the way. The Mandalorian. So, as is often the case when Jeff and I record this show, we record it on Thursday afternoons. And it in recent weeks, we have been kind of screwed by stuff like this almost every week where we'll mention something on the Thursday. The, then the news actually changes on the Friday before our show airs on any radio station in Canada because we record it on Thursday and ship it out to the various stations across Canada that run it so that they have time to get it into their system by the Friday. Uh, So in the case of The Mandalorian, when we recorded that episode, I think we recorded it on December 21st. At that time, the plan for The Mandalorian Season 3 was that it was going to be out December 2021, in time for Christmas. That's what they were going with publicly. But of course, the Season 3 finale of The Mandalorian, which happened just days before... We recorded two. that episode. Season two. What did I say? Season three? Season three. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Season two, before the second season finale uh, aired, or after it aired, they hadn't yet changed their story. They have since confirmed that the book of Boba Fett will be running in December of 2021. So we won't, and then The Mandalorian will debut its third season sometime soon after that so who knows when we're going to get to see season three of the mandalorian but i just figured had to point that out because that episode of the couch potatoes did air twice and i thought yeah should i come in and correct that for the second week that it runs no not really because i'm still sort of on holidays so (laughs) yeah but that that's uh it's getting frustrating (laughs) like it's getting to the point now where i'm scared to mention any dates any release dates anything specific because it we always always the, the news changes on the Friday, Jeff. Absolutely. And there's some stuff coming up later in the show today where I'm in the same. It's like, well, I guess we'll say that. Hopefully they don't change their minds before <laughs> anyone gets a chance to hear us say it. But what are you going to do? But uh, there's not, nothing you can do about it. That's just life. And, of course, uh, that's just scheduling for everything the last few months has just been 
a nightmare and nothing ever goes the way it's originally planned for one reason or another, many of those reasons involving the pandemic, of course. And speaking of the pandemic, it caused a dramatic major shift for two of the biggest movies of the year. And we've got reviews of those movies next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. A new Pixar movie came out over the holidays on Disney+, and I watched it. It's called Soul. Streaming this December on Disney+. Plus. I'm Joe Gardner. I teach middle school band. I finally land the gig of my life, and then... Is this heaven? <laughs> no. Is it H-E double hockey sticks? Help. 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 Hi, Coyote. Can you help me get back to my body? Why? Earth sounds dumb. You're missing out on the joys of life. Nah. Come on. Wait, not me! Soul. Rated PG. Streaming December 25th. Soul is directed by Pete Docter and Kemp Powers. Now, Docter also wrote and directed the Pixar movies Inside Out, Up, and Monsters, Inc. I haven't seen Monsters, Inc., or if I have, I don't recall it. But if you've seen those other ones, you wouldn't be surprised by how touching Soul can be and how a lot of it sort of plays out. In fact, a lot of it reminded me of the movie Inside Out. Soul stars Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Graham Norton, Rachel House, Felicia Rashad, Questlove, Angela Bassett, and David Diggs, among others. Foxx is the main guy, Joe Gard who we heard in the clip there. He's a jazz pianist who also teaches band in middle school. He dreams of playing piano professionally in a jazz band, though, and he's about to get what he thinks is his big break. When he dies, or almost dies, as it turns out, his soul does leave his body, but doesn't get to the great beyond. Joe's not ready to go, and his soul gets off the escalator to heaven and finds itself in a place where new souls prepare to be sent to Earth. Joe is assigned to help Soul 22 find her spark, that thing which will fire her up to want to live on in a human body or something like that. It, it all mostly made sense when they were explaining the world and its rules, but I didn't commit it all to memory, and I forgot a lot of it right away. It did make a lot more sense than Tenet. I will give it that. 22 is played by Tina Fey. The two of them somehow steal away to Earth for a while to try to help Joe's situation down there. He has this important audition with Angela Bassett's jazz band coming up. Now, that's all in the first 15 or 20 minutes. This movie cooks, and it gets there fast. There are some other twists and turns that kind of blew my mind, where you think the movie's going to be one thing, and it turns into something else. I won't get into all that for spoilers reasons. Uh, needless to say, mentor and mentee each have a little to offer the other, and there are lessons to be learned along the way. The world of the souls and the training of the new ones and the saving of the lost ones and all that sort of ethereal stuff harkens back to Inside Out, like I mentioned. It made, you know, that movie made characters out of all the different feelings that people have. And Soul asks a lot of existential questions, which I wasn't quite prepared for. Uh, the Pixar movies often do have a lot of subtext to their story, but they rarely are this upfront about it. Joe's soul goes through the what is the point of my life kind of stuff. And if you don't want to consider your own life in that manner for a couple of minutes, you might want to pass on this movie. And while it does strike these deeper chords, it is also very entertaining. I laughed out loud several times. New York Knicks fans may cry instead of laugh at one joke. Um, I, I know I shouldn't be surprised, but I was still amazed at the animation. It feels like it just keeps getting better with each subsequent movie. The detail was 
uh, absolutely striking in some spots. And there were a lot of very simply drawn images in the Soul world as well, like 2D line character, line drawing characters. So you sort of have to see it to get it. So, I mean, the movie's terrific. If you like the other Pixar movies, I'm sure you'll dig this. Again, it's more on the serious side of the Pixar lineup as opposed to something like, say, Cars. It's also the first Pixar movie I've even seen in a while. I think Incredibles 2 was the last one, and Inside Out was the one before that, and that's five years ago already. So I've been meaning to watch Coco. Everyone has great things to say about that one. I was going to say I've seen Moana, but that's apparently not a Pixar movie. Still good, at least the parts I've seen. I've seen the beginning and end of Moana, I think, three times, Brett, but I always end up having a little snooze in the middle while the kids are watching. I just fall asleep and wake up at the end again. So... <laughs> One day I'm just going to have to like fast forward half an hour into it and just just watch just the middle and maybe then I won't fall asleep. Um, Soul is free with your Disney Plus subscription, not like the live action Mulan that came out last year where they charged thirty dollars to rent it on Disney Plus. I guess they're still trying to figure out what's the best way to go for some of these things. I do sort of imagine that this was a one time treat during a pandemic at Christmas. You know, Disney can afford to occasionally do something like that. They will, of course. I would, for their big tentpole movies, want to get back into theaters when they can, whatever the theater situation looks like. So here they here they just gave it away. It's out there. You can watch it whenever you want. And I highly recommend it. Four couch cushions out of five for Soul. So that debuted on Christmas. Also a movie that debuted on Christmas, Wonder Woman 1984. I can save today, but you can save the world. One day will become all that you dream of and more. And everything will be different. This world is not ready for all that you will do. The world needs you. Okay, so when the early reviews, the first reviews for this came out, and not even reviews, just like snippets of reviews, they were amazing, excellent. They were describing this movie as the movie that we need right now. And then as we got right up until release day, the reviews suddenly started to get worse. And it's now sitting at a 60% on RottenTomatoes.com. So that made me a little more hesitant to shell out the 30 bucks and watch it and rent it on demand. I just watched it at home, rented it through my PVR. Uh, but I figured, well, $30 isn't bad because if I really like this, then I can watch it again because you get you get it for 48 hours. It was good, not great. Like, I liked it, I didn't love it. And it's, as far as the box office goes, by the way, this thing has still managed to make $118 million around the world. I don't know if that includes rentals because it's the, the, although the rentals in markets like Canada probably is just a drop in the bucket because uh, in the States, of course, it is streaming for a month on HBO Max before they pull it off of HBO Max and uh, hope to get it back in theaters. But 60% of the theaters in the United States, from what I understand, are shut down. So who knows? But I, I mean, I thought it was fun. I really liked Pedro Pascal in this a lot. Uh, I mean, he's, he just had such a great month of December in this. He put on a, a wonderful performance, and he, it was it was a great contrast to his other character. He, he's the Mandalorian, and that's a very subtle, low-key character. And in this, he was just way over the top. So it's great to see his range, right? He's such a—he's an excellent actor. I thought Kristen Wiig was surprisingly 
menacing. She was a formidable foe to Wonder Woman. And Gal Gadot, she's just so elegant uh, in this role, which I and they incorporate that into her fighting style. It's smooth, but it's still ferocious and powerful. Like there's no doubt that she would. You don't think, oh, she's a woman. She's not going to be strong. No, she will lay waste to anyone she gets her hands on. Chris Pine, they have a creative way to reintroduce him because, of course, his character didn't make it at the end of the first Wonder Woman. His childlike wonder was so genuine at seeing all the stuff, all the futuristic stuff, because now it's the 80s and the first movie, I think, was it World War I or World War II that they were in? World War I. Yeah, One. so he so many decades have passed since uh, that. So I don't know. I I thought the action was pretty cool. I thought it was fun. I thought it was hopeful. The ending was hokey. It was super hokey. I'll give it that. And overall, not as good as the first Wonder Woman. But I thought it was fun. I don't know if it's if I can recommend it for thirty dollar rental. But when it's available on streaming or whatever, it's just, it's just part of your monthly subscription. It might be worth checking out. So I'll give Wonder Woman 1984 three couch cushions out of five. Up next, I have a glowing review of a new show that stars Nicolas Cage on Netflix. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. One more thought on Wonder Woman 1984. I forgot to mention this. It's a movie set in the 1980s, and there's no 80s music to be found anywhere in that movie. I didn't catch up, like I didn't catch that while I watched it, but once I saw people complaining about it on social media, I thought, oh yeah, the whole movie was just a musical score. So again, there's another draw or another missed opportunity there. But anyway, I, I, st- I thought the movie was fun. It's good, not great. Moving on. There is a show that debuted on Netflix this past Tuesday, and I love it so much. It is called History of Swear Words. Swear words. They're the most popular and alluring taboos we have. But the secrets to their strange power have been shrouded in mystery until now. Join me on a journey through the history, evolution, and cultural impact of swear words. Words don't start out as swear words. They're just words. Somebody decided at some point that this is a swear word. There's an acronymic etymology. Fornication under consent of the king. This household has been given by consent to... It is total horseshit. (laughs) Okay, so this is a six-episode miniseries. Each episode is like 20 minutes. So you could theoretically just bang this out in a little over two hours and it each episode focuses on a swear word the first one involves the f word the second one is the s word the third one is the b word the fourth episode is a d word the fifth episode is a p word and the sixth episode is another (laughs) d word i thought this was brilliant and it's not a complete total examination of each word, but you get a bit of history on each one. In some cases, it's just theories, but they are at least able to debunk certain things because there are some misconceptions about where words come from. But so you, it's informative. They really do take a fascinating look. They go way back, like hundreds of years in certain cases to track down the origins of these words and then to show at what point in time where it became a swear word is pretty cool. So I thought that was fascinating. I thought it was super fun 
because I love swearing. I love listening to people swear, especially when people do it well. You know, they and they actually they feature the actor, and I can't remember his name, but he was in The Wire, Jeff. Uh, the guy who uses the S word all the time. Was it Isaiah? Oh. Yes. Oh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Yeah. So he, he is featured throughout <laughs> the series, but they had to bring him in, of course, for the S word. Although when they did, a, the D word was damn. I think I can get away with saying damn. They didn't mention Jack Bauer from 24. So that drove me kind of crazy because he what like. About, sorry. What about uh, Doc Brown from Back to the Future? No. No, they didn't. Oh, that's right. That's right. They, use of it. Yeah, but Jack Bauer, like every episode, he said, damn it, at least 10 times. So that kind of irked me. But anyway, so yeah, I just thought it was hilarious. Nicolas Cage, I thought was a little too Nicolas Cagey. And I like Nicolas Cage. I think, I don't know why they didn't get Samuel L. Jackson to host this series. But, uh, and Dang. surprising, like shocking. I was shocked to learn which Hollywood actor has said, I think the they did they, they did a count, the F word, the one who has said it the most. It's not Samuel L. Jackson. I was surprised. Joe, can I guess? Will you tell me if I'm right? Yeah. Joe Pesci? No. Uh, Robert De Niro? No. Mm. You guys are going to keep it. It's not yeah. Al Pacino either. Jeff Bridges? <laughs> you just keep mentioning actors with J, <laughs> say the letter J. Anyway, so History of Swear Words is super fun. On the opposite end of the spectrum of fun is a show called Your Honor. 911, what's your emergency? Hello? Are you there? Dad? I hit somebody, and I left him. I left him there. Oh, my God. Don't tell anyone. Not ever. I can do this. I can keep you safe if no one ever hears about it. The boy you hit this morning is Jimmy Baxter's son. The head of the most vicious crime family in the city. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you will be found. Okay, so I never, I didn't even hear about this show. My dad says to me, hey, are you watching that Your Honor show with Brian Cranston? And I said, what? Brian Cranston has a new show? And he says, yeah, it's on Crave. So I looked it up. It's a Showtime series from the States running on Crave in Canada. It's a 10-episode legal thriller. Five episodes have aired so far. So he plays Michael Desiato, a respected New Orleans judge whose teenage son, Adam, is in a hit and run. And it leads to... A high-stakes game of lies, deceit, and impossible choices. So the, the, the setup for the crash, like they get right into, I think it takes all of five minutes for the crash to happen. The crash scene, the fallout of like the immediate fallout of what happens after the crash happens is so intense because Adam has asthma. So I could relate to what he was going through. He was having an asthma attack while this is happening. I, I don't have asthma, but I have had asthmatic symptoms, like a, uh, depending on my allergies. I, I had, like, one time I had a cold, which combined with my allergy to cats to the point where I developed asthmatic bronchitis and had to go to the hospital. I thought I was going to die because I couldn't breathe. So when I when they included that, incorporated that into this crash, it just made it so 
so intense. So I, I applaud it for the tension that they create in that first episode. But from there, Adam and Brian Cranston, the judge, go on to make a series of pretty dumb decisions. And I think the whole po- the point they're trying to make is that these guys are sort of fish out of water. They're, they're not criminals. They don't, they don't normally do these things, but they made, Adam made a bad decision, which then gets compounded by a series of bad decisions. And now there are a lot of people involved and a lot more people are getting hurt. Obviously, you have no TV show if Adam makes the right decision in that first episode. So it's tense, it's dark, and I think the first, after that first episode, it kind of falters a little bit. It stumbles along, but I think by episode five, there like this most recent episode was really intense. So I'm I'm enjoying it. You can watch it on Crave on demand and get caught up on that if you you have not seen any of the episodes. Your Honor with starring Brian Cranston. I got to mention this quickly. Uh, mostly just to tell you to stay away from it. You know what? I'm not even going to play the clip because it's not worth it. George Clooney has a new movie on Netflix. It's called The Midnight Sky. And he plays a guy who works at this like Arctic uh, sat- this, some science station. And he's trying to get a desperate message out to this returning spaceship. I don't. It's set somewhere in the future. And the world has gone to hell. Everybody has evacuated. The, the world is essentially dead. And the, the spaceship coming back, he's trying to get a hold of him to say, don't come back. Like, turn back and go back from where you were coming from. And that's it. That's the whole point of the movie. He just wants to get this message out. And it's just, it's thoughtful and Clooney's great in it. And it has some really nice visuals, but it's just sort of slow and boring. So I don't recommend that. If you see the George Clooney movie, The Midnight Sky on Netflix... I would say stay away from that. I have to mention, I don't think I've mentioned this at all, but uh, His Dark Materials, season two. This is a show that I really liked in its first season back in 2019, and it just wrapped up its second season in the last uh, couple of weeks. The world's changing. We've all sensed it. The prophecy is clear. Our duty is to protect the girl and the boy, wherever they are. Something happened in this world. There's something important that connects us to this place. People are going to be looking for us. We need to be careful. Witches have been conspiring against the Magisterium. We must take control of this new world. Find the child. She's in another world entirely. So see, this is an HBO show, so I watch it on Crave. It's based on a trilogy of fantasy novels by Philip Pullman. You may remember the movie The Golden Compass, which was supposed to be the beginning of a trilogy, but the movie kind of flopped, so they didn't bother. So the TV show, the first season of the television show, was much better than the movie. Kind of complicated to get into it, but basically they they live in a world where... Their soul is actually an external being, which they call a demon. And each person's demon is like an animal. So you, I might have a dog for a demon. And Jeff, you might have a badger. I don't, don't know why I imagine your animal would be a badger. but uh, I'll yeah. take it. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. I mean, the, the effects are tremendous. It's really neat fantasy. And there's just, you know, 
the the ruling authority is trying to stop this kid who's part of a prophecy that's going to bring about the end of the war and all kind. Of, yeah, it's a lot to get into. It's just it's a, if you like fantasy stuff, it's really good. I also should just remind you as well that uh, season six, the, sec- the second half of the final season of Vikings is now available and it will be airing on Wednesdays because it debuted on History on New Year's Day, which was a Friday two days after Amazon Prime debuted on... They had the exclusive debut rights, but I guess now that history let them have it, have the the exclusive debut, now they're airing them on the same day. And just giving you a heads up, this Sunday on Crave is something I'm very excited for. If you like sports documentaries... The problem with conquering the world is that the world is going to want its revenge. He got clean, he got healthy... And he crawls out of that hole. This is the comeback of all comebacks. Do not underestimate Tiger Woods. Tiger! It's only a two-part documentary, so we episode one is this week, episode two will be next week, so it's not like a last dance kind of situation, which went, was that like 10 episodes, Jeff, the Michael Jordan yep. one? Yeah, yeah 10. But HBO does excellent documentaries, so I can't wait to watch this. You don't have to be a fan of golf to have a, at least a passing interest in Tiger Woods. He's just such a fascinating man. He's had such a fascinating, just bizarre up and down roller coaster life, and it looks like they do not lead. They don't hide anything. So that's on Sunday on Crave. I'm excited about that, and we are both excited about the Batman's. Yes, Batman's details next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and there was a lot of Batman news this week, and a lot of it was very confusing, so let's try to clarify. Firstly, an old favorite is returning to the role. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Michael Keaton, of course, played the Cape Crusader in the first two movies, the Tim Burton ones from 1989 and 1992. He was also, to my memory anyway, the first superhero casting situation where everyone lost their minds about who was going to play Batman. I'm sure it had happened before with James Bond or something. Maybe it was Superman. Uh, brief aside, I did rewatch Superman's one and two over the holidays. Christopher Reeve remains the perfect choice for that role, and both movies remain highly enjoyable. I hadn't seen him in years. Keaton, of course, turned out to be a great Batman. Everyone loved him, and then he bailed after the second movie, which was probably a good idea, as the next two movies are pretty terrible. So his involvement now is not as the star of a new trilogy or anything, as was apparently rumored earlier this week, but he's simply going to appear in the upcoming The Flash movie starring Ezra Miller. That's the same Flash from the DC Extended Universe's Justice League where Ben Affleck played Batman, and Affleck will also, again, appear as Batman in this Flash movie, so they'll both be in it, and since it's The Flash, and if you watch the TV show at all, or obviously read the comics, we can expect a multiverse situation to be included, which would account for more than one Batman. Now, this seems to be the same thing that Marvel's doing with Spider-Man, no? 
because they're going to have Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield back as Spider's Men in the next Tom Holland MCU Spider-Man movie. So that's also a multiverse scenario. As silly as a lot of all that sounds, if they do want to find, you know, something radically different to do with both Spider-Man and Batman, I am down for it. Lord knows there are enough movies already with both those characters, so no harm at all in trying to mix it up a little bit like this. We should also point out, of course, that there is... The other Batman movie that's being made called The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson as The Batman, that was but now is not connected to the DC Extended Universe movies with The Flash and Affleck Batman. So that's where all that all falls together. Got it? Good. The next Spider-Man is scheduled to come out this December. The Batman scheduled for March of 2022 and The Flash scheduled for November of 2022. And again, scheduled. Who knows when Hollywood schedules will actually be something we can rely on. But that, Brett, is the plan as it stands for now. Okay. Well, I like the plan. Because I, I, and I'm glad you cleared, cleared that up for me because I thought I had read, I, I'm pretty sure I read that Ben Affleck was not coming back and that, that Keaton had signed right. on and was replacing him. And I, I liked Ben Affleck as Batman and I like Michael Keaton as Batman. So I like the idea, idea of having them both in this flash movie. And I think I also like the fact that the Batman is not going to be connected to the DCEU because then that means they can just tell their story and not have to worry about making sure that it ties into the bigger DCEU. Just they can tell a good story. And I, I think it looks great from the, the teaser trailer they've put out. It looks really good. But I mean, it's easy to make Batman look good because they all sort of do that these days. Hopefully it stays good and actually is good. And somebody also pointed out as well with this new Batman movie, The Batman, Gotham appears to be one of the characters again that was what was lacking from the christopher nolan movies is that it just felt like a normal city it didn't really have uh any sort of a sense that it was part of like it, it, gotham it doesn't matter what whether it's on tv or like tim burton it, it had a, a distinct flair in the fox tv show it had a distinct flair of course in the comic books it has a flair but in christopher nolan's movies i thought it was that gotham was just another city am i wrong yeah it was it just looked like chicago right and it was and it was not even or pittsburgh i guess is because in the Bane won the football stadium anyways. That scene, that's in Pittsburgh. Mm. At any rate, yeah, it just looks like a random city. It looks like a different city in each of the three movies in those Christopher Nolan ones, too. It doesn't It doesn't look connected at all. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.